So I'm speaking with com uh, composer Joby Talbot, whose talents and versatility have given us such a, a wide range of scores and have spanned across many genres. Um, Joby's work as a composer also spans beyond film with concert pieces and ballets. Some of his film work includes uh, the scores to films like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Penelope, Son of Rambo, and Franklin. Joby's newest score is for uh, Illumination Entertainment's newest animated feature, Sing. Uh, Joby, thanks so much for, uh, for speaking today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Kai. Uh, so to start, I would love to know kind of at, at what point did music enter your life, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, the roots, and at what point did you kind of see that turn, that kind of, uh, I guess, that catalyst that came in that made you decide to focus on a, a film and TV scoring path? Well, I started, I mean, I, I played my first composition in public when I was nine. It was like insufferable <laughs> little child, I must have been. And... Um, it was just always the thing that I kind of wanted to do. Um, I, I played piano and then I played oboe in like wind bands and then orchestras. And uh, and I st yeah, I started writing like as soon as I could really play something, I started making up. So it's like much more fun to make stuff up than um, to play what your teacher tells you to play. Right. Anyway, um, and I was, uh, I was, you know, always playing all different kinds of music. I was in a rock band for like eight years on the road. And then whilst I was doing that, I was writing. I went off to music college and studied classical composition. And, uh, you know, I was writing all these different crazy pieces of classical music while, you know, while, you know, on the tour bus at the back of the bus trying to scroll away on <laughs> pieces of manuscript paper. And then um, I got asked to do a British TV show called... The League of Gentlemen, which was a really big hit comedy series back in the 90s. It won the BAFTA and it won the Golden Rose of Montreux. It was really brilliant, uh -huh. very funny. I think it was on Comedy Central here, but I can't see it would really translate. It's very English. Anyway, um, they asked me to write the music for their thing. And, uh, yeah, I never really kind of looked back. I just so enjoyed um, scoring to picture and now I spend half my time kind of scoring movies and the other half uh, doing things like writing opera, um, ballet, you know, other kinds right. of storytelling music, but in different kind of fields. Right. And then, then, I, and then I do other stuff too, but those are the things I really kind of enjoy doing, telling stories through music. Absolutely. And I, and I, feel, I mean, I feel like uh, writing music for stage performances, uh, I mean, opera and ballet is so interesting and, I'm, and it's still music accompanying visuals. Um, but the visuals, of course, are live, and you know there's no camera shifts and you know shots or editing. So, uh, what what is the approach for scoring something, say for an opera or a ballet, where um, the audience is kind of taking it all in in one piece, versus something where you're writing for film? And how how different is the approach? I mean, how different is the music's role in it? Is it as if it if there's any differences? Yeah, um, the well, the main difference is that the music comes first. You know, they right. in, in in you know traditional ballet anyway. Um, you know, the composer writes the music and then the choreographer choreographs to it. I know that in other forms of dance, that's not always the case. But in the story ballets that I've done, the music comes first. So the music is trying to tell the story in advance of there being any visuals. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of decide how much story you want to tell with the music, how much you want to leave it up to what comes later. So that's very hard to try and imagine. I guess it's a bit like writing library music or something in that right. you have to try and imagine what somebody else might do with it later. Right. Um, the other thing with is that you know the they dance to the music, you know the actors on screen for a movie aren't acting to the music. Right. So it's a it's a very different thing. It's like the music drives it in dance, and even more so in opera where they're singing it. You know they're singing the words. The music comes first, and it becomes, 
you know, it becomes the driving. I mean, like, you know, even like the stage manager in a, in a ballet will have all the lighting cues and everything written into the musical score. Right. Because it's the music is like the rock on which everything is kind of hung. Um, and that's obviously completely the opposite with movies because there the whole film is done. Right. Um, until you, and then you come on and you put your score on kind of almost last. I mean, they're probably doing some visual effects and sound mixing and stuff. But other than that, you know, the music department are the last men standing often. <laughs> yeah, they, it's not unusual to come in like really at the 11th hour, especially if you're like replacing a score or something. I mean, you can come in, the whole thing's just finished. It's just ready to go. Everyone's just looking at you expectantly and you've got to kind of <laughs> put your music on. So, but, but having said that, of course, there are, there are huge similarities. I mean, the way the music can drive the story along, the, the way music can help you focus on a certain way a character's feeling or set the stage for some magical crazy location or you know all these kinds of things uh you know are common to any kind of storytelling music right absolutely um and so now your newest film that uh, you scored is is a uh, sing which comes from illumination you know mm-hmm. they're best known for despicable me and the minions um but you get to re- reunite with director garth jennings uh which you worked on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and uh, Son of Rambo. So as a composer, um, how has your working relationship with Garth evolved over the course of the films you've done together? Um, and how has it grown? Uh, has, has it, have you kind of developed a shorthand? Or has it uh, kind of built on itself? Or has each one kind of been almost like a different experience? Well, Garth is one of my very closest friends, um, as well as being um, a wonderful collaborator and a fantastic director obviously and writer right and the first movie i did was was hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy it was a hugely ambitious project you know massive big score for full orchestra but then all this other kind of crazy music like you know like you know space age cocktail jazz and right, right. <laughs> a, a hymn for a congregation of aliens to sing and and then all this kind of crazy like escaville kind of cantina latino um jazz and i mean all this sort of cra- i mean yeah really insane um and with that movie i actually because it was such a sort of specific world i actually went away and wrote a bunch of music I, I, garth gave me the whole film just as an animatic before they'd edited in any of the live action stuff wow. just of storyboards some very basic effects and i kind of went through and scored a whole lot of it um, kind of on spec mm. and actually a lot of that music kind of survived especially in the last kind of quarter of the film but I really wanted to make sure that I that we were all on the same page we went away and recorded it recorded it in um, kind of on the cheap in Prague mm. and then recorded the real thing in London um, later and uh, yeah that was the way we did that film and then with Son of Rambo Garth decided he really wanted to do much more sort of guerrilla style filmmaking and kind of with an absolute skeleton crew. <laughs> and um, But they still set aside a really nice healthy budget for a wonderful orchestral score. Um, and in that one, it was just, you know, it was it was the, the single most delightful um, collaborative experience I'd have with a director, really, because we were so just kind of simpatico. I was just loving what he was doing. And he... Um, I mean, you know, we had, to, you know, there's great moments you just dream of working with the director where, you know, you're playing something down the phone on the piano and he's like, kind of, oh, I love it. There's something, there's something missing. Wait, can, can you maybe do something? You've got to go like this. Go, yes, that's it. You know, it's like, great. Great <laughs> right champagne, all fantastic. Um, but we knew that uh, Sing would be very different. You know, the stakes are an awful lot higher 
And um, of course, you know, Illumination aren't this successful by accident. I mean, they have, right. a, they have a way of making these movies and it's very specific to them. And as an outsider coming in, of course, Garth was also an outsider coming in, but he, he'd come in several years previously. But, you know, I came in and I had to, you know, Garth really had to sort of help shepherd me through the process of collaborating with um, particularly Chris Meldandry at Illumination, who, who really runs a very tight shop. Mm. Um, he, he, he's, he oversees everything in the films and he's such a kind of creative, huge creative influence on what happens. So, you know, you can be sitting in the room with the director and it's all it seems to be going very well, but, 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 you know, Chris is very kind of focused on keeping every, everything on the straight and narrow. Right. And one thing I learned very quickly with animated films, never having done an animated film before is it's very easy to kind of, uh, sort of derail things by by you know they're working so hard on making the imagery seem so real that if you just put you know slightly the wrong trumpet sound on it can just break the spell and wow. suddenly it looks artificial again and um, so you know it was very 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 closely micromanaged and it had to very much work with their kind of vision for the whole film and we, and we got there but it was a very different process but um, you know. Equally enjoyable. Absolutely. And for animation, um, did you, and since, uh, you know, Garth is directing and he probably reached out to you early on, did, I mean, when did you start coming in to the process? Because the, the film also contains, you know, a lot of uh, pop songs. And mm -hmm. and uh, so kind of what was the approach? Uh, uh, what was the goal for the for the score? I mean, I'm kind of rambling with a bunch of questions, but let's start with what mm -hmm. was the goal with the music? And, and kind of when did you start, when did your process start in, in the production timeline? Um. Well, I was talking with Garth about it sort of quite early on. I can't remember when he actually asked me to do it. I know he, they, they, they took me over to Paris so I could meet with um, Garth and Greg Perler, the editor, and Janet Healy, who co-produced the film with um, Chris Melodandry, and uh, had a very nice lunch. And, you know, I, they, yeah, it was clear that we, we could all work together, and that was very nice. Right. And then, so that's probably the first time I saw saw something then and that would have been i don't know two or maybe even three years ago wow. so i was kind of in touch with the process um um from quite a quite an early stage um i saw some of the character design and i was just chatting with garth about that i read a script and you know chatting with garth about about it um but i really came on board properly about a year ago i suppose and um Yes, we, I mean, I was quite clear from the outset that the a big part of the job of the score was going to be um, knitting the songs into the fabric of the film mm -hmm. and making sure that you get carried from one musical number through to the next, you know, effectively and excitedly. Also, it's a very, um, necessarily, it's, a, it's quite a complicated storyline. We have all these different contestants in the show and the film and right. they all have interesting backstories that have led them to be part of it and then their stories kind of continue in parallel with the main narrative of the of the film um and you know when we rejoin a character and there's six contestants or something when we rejoin a character's storyline the music very very clearly has to kind of yank you back into that headspace so we're kind of back in with those characters and that can maybe just like 20 seconds of like a, you know, we rejoin a mad heist scene, you know, right. somebody drives 
flappers through the streets, you know, nearly causing accidents. And then suddenly you're out of that again. You're with some other characters having like a, a nervous breakdown because their boyfriend left them or whatever. And you have to paint that picture and move everything forward all the time. So even though there's so many songs and I think, I think they literally have at least part of 103 songs. Wow. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it's just a sting, but you know, right. So you think there wouldn't be much room for score. Um, and although in terms of number of minutes, it is a relatively short for an animation film, it's actually, it's a weighty score. It does a lot of work. And it's very important, I think, to the way you, um, the way you perceive the narrative, and, and in particular, the way that you r- relate to the characters. And this about this film is the thing, was its real strength, I think, for me, is that the characters are so beautifully drawn, and we really believe in them. You know, we, mm-hmm. we we don't we see somebody having a big emotional moment. It's not just some sort of fuzzy animated thing. You know, right. we really are like great acting. I mean, really great acting. That'll be, you know, Matthew McConaughey's character will be, you know, right in close up, and we'll watch a play of emotions over his face. Uh, and you know, it's wholly believable. You, you soon forget that it's just being drawn on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the idea for sure. And. Um... Uh, but and we we mentioned I mean there's a lot of songs in the film and and there's so many great musicals that feature kind of more uh, popular songs I mean I I think of come to mind as Moulin Rouge and and songs where where mm-hmm. the the songs really are kind of the 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 main ticket Do you ever feel like I guess is it appropriate to say that in this uh, instance the score is not meant to shine as much or does it have a different purpose than if you there were no songs at all, I mean, do you were you did you felt like you were competing against? Were you worried like okay, the songs are kind of overshadowing my work, or was that ever kind of a thought process? Of... Uh, only well, not really. It's uh... <laughs> the only weird thing is that the last two reels where you would expect you know you have more and more and more scores, you build a conclusion. Actually, you have less and less and less because there's more and more and more songs. It ends with a show, so right. So you look, or you're getting ready for the big real five and six numbers, and of course they never happen. Um, <laughs> but other than that, where, where the score is kind of where the score is most doing its job, it has plenty of room to do its job. And Garth's written these beautiful, several beautiful set piece um, scenes where score is very, very important. You know, mm. there one scene where um, Reese Witherspoon's character has built this crazy machine, this sort of you know cobbled together machine she's invented to to feed all her her kids while she goes out to sing in the show. And um, it's just, you know, it's just really, it's just a really fun romp. And the score is like, you know, it's like a, it's like a ballet score. It's like this great big kind of piece of crazy orchestral music, you know, doing all this stuff. Right. Um, There's no kind of feeling that you have to kind of, that you're not allowed to fully express yourself. There's plenty of moments where the music really is. And in fact, I mean, the main note that always came back from Christmas Andrew was just, you know, more, you know, if it's a Mm. sad cue, be more sad you know if it's energetic you could be more energetic so no there was never a sense of holding back okay that's great i mean there were a couple of maybe a couple of moments where you know there was a song and i could have wished i could have had the opportunity to score it but when you watch the film you realize that the balance between score and songs is just perfect so i totally get it yeah um wrote a big cue for the opening title sequence and in the end they decided to go with a pop song and um 
you know, obviously I was disappointed, but I couldn't say I thought it was the wrong decision. I think I think it's the right decision. It just sets the film up in, in a way, in a different way than if you'd scored that scene. Right. That scene on its own, beautiful score, but it would have slightly unbalanced everything that came subsequently. So, um, you know, and then we managed to reuse it in the closing credits anyway, so all is not lost. <laughs> well, kind of looking at, at films in general and, and all that, you've got to write, I mean, for so many unique stories and unique different genres, is there any... Um, I guess any different is there a certain genre that you like to kind of gravitate towards more is there something that you speaks to you more as a as a person as a human being do you like to kind of write dramatic music comedic music or uh, or is it uh, or is it just whatever you just try to find I guess the heartbeat of the story no matter what Well I think I, I would like to I mean I like to write music that I think I'm good at writing you know mm-hmm. I mean I in an ideal world I would do jobs that I really you know, believe that I was the only person on planet Earth who could possibly do them. You know, that's a good place to start. You know, <laughs> if you're doing something, they say, you know, we want a reggae score, and you're thinking, oh, I could do that. You think? <laughs> I know like three guys down the road who could do this a lot better than me, but hopefully I'll be a You know, like and that happens when you're scoring a film. You have suddenly asked to do something that's really way out of your comfort zone. Right. And you can do it, but there's always that nagging thing thinking, why are they getting me to do it? Yeah. I love the film I did a couple of years ago. The score ended up being quite different, different from what the uh, director originally wanted, and it ended up being more sort of a generic kind of contemporary thriller score um, than he'd originally wanted. And, and then you sort of think, well, yeah, he probably would have, you know, if he'd known that's what it was going to be, why would he have booked me? You right, know? right. Because I think where my real strength, or certainly what I enjoy doing musically, is is telling emotional stories with music. You know, I like, I really like writing very impassioned music that, that you know, really getting inside a character and, 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 and really going somewhere with it. You know, like, you know, if there's one scene in Sing where it's just incredibly sad. I mean, Buster Moon, the Martin Connolly's character, is absolutely, he's totally on his knees and you, you can't see a way out for him. It's, it's properly sad. I mean, you know, quite bravely so, considering this is, you know, a kid's film. Right. So the you know so the music can write just this heartbreakingly sad music. I love doing that kind of thing. I don't really like doing kind of vamped already, just kind of rumty tum music that doesn't really want to do anything. And I have a real kind of bugbear about the whole contemporary style of filmmaking where there's just music on. Right. You know, it's like what is music now contributing? If it's not contributing anything. Can we just like turn it off? Listen to the sound effects or something? You know. <laughs> um, so I don't know. So I mean, com- you know, comedic, comedic things. Um, can be just as emotional as um as as dramatic things so as long as it's got like a heart i'm i want to score it you know uh, that's 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 awesome that's a great i love that answer <laughs> um but to, to to kind of wrap things up i always like to ask composers this one question um so if you could score any film ever made without pretending the original score never existed and no disrespect to the original score at all what 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 movie would you pick? What, what's the pl- the biggest playground that you'd love to kind of play in? Well, I mean, I guess, like, rather boringly, you'd have to say Star Wars, surely. No, I mean, of it's course. just <laughs> A lot of people are saying Star Wars. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, of course the thing is, you know, it's the best score ever written, so it's not like, it's not like I would have done any better. Right. But... <laughs> I should have loved the opera, you know, and I, those big sci-fi. I mean, but then Star Wars, it's just, it's got all the kind of tropes that you can have fun with. And one of the things that's fun about scoring for ballet, for example, is that, you know, for example, the first big story that I did was Alice in Wonderland right. and the Royal Ballet in London. And 
you know, the second act ends with a big um, flower waltz. You know, there's been plenty of flower waltzes in, in ballets in the past. So you can look at all the flower waltzes and you can do like the uber flower waltz. You can like throw everything at this flower waltz and try and outdo all the great flower. You know, it's a fun kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'm sure for John Williams, Star Wars was the same, you know. You know, the baddie, you want a baddie's march. I mean, you know, come on. You know, and you want, you know, the big medal ceremony at the end and heroics and all these things. You can, And then you can go back, as he did, through kind of the you know, history of music and just cherry pick the best ideas for all those kind of tropes. Right. And um, that's, that's really good fun to do that kind of thing. And, of course, you know, every time a director asks me if they can have a, a theme for a character and then you look at the scene and you realize that, you know, the dialogue doesn't let up even for a second. Mm. The character walks on, onto screen, says something smart, vanishes again. Can we have a theme for him? You're like, what? no. <laughs> if you want to put your character standing on a sand dune while two sons set behind him, give me like four minutes of the horn solo, then you can have a theme, you know. And, you know, they always reference Star Wars, like it's as easy as that, you know. But obviously John, um, George Lucas built all these, you know, great big kind of set-up things for, for, for John Williams to kind of do something amazing. Absolutely. Well, that's an amazing answer. And, and Joby, thank you so much for your time tonight. And no, for, my absolute lovely talking uh, to you. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations with Sing. And uh, uh, I can't wait for the world to, to see it and, and take in your amazing work. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks.